Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Top of the morning to you out there, rock fans, and welcome. To another episode of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, hosted by me, the Wolf Mac B, and my partner in crime, Action Jackson. Though we recorded it right off Abbey Road here in London, we're actually going to take you across the Irish Sea to Dublin to talk about one of the greatest rock albums of all time. That's U2's The Joshua Tree, which was given critical acclaim and made them enormous stars, not only in America, but all around the world. In the late 70s, early 80s, they were kind of heroes talking about issues that would affect the common man and those who are trodden upon. But with the release of the Joshua Tree, three years after the release of Unforgettable Fire, they shot up to the charts, but also earned international acclaim and did an enormously successful tour with over 100 shows. The album went on to sell over 30 million copies and allowed them 30 years later in 2017 to do the 30th anniversary of the Joshua Tree tour and play the entire album start to finish in its entirety. Now, I wasn't lucky enough to see them in 1987, but I did see them on the 30th anniversary tour, and I gotta tell you, it was fantastic. And for my fellow Louisvillians who were there at Papa John's Cardinal Stadium that night, you'll remember an enormous airplane flying right over the stadium as it was going to land at Stanford Field. If I can find a picture of that, I'll put it out on the Twitter feed, and you can follow us at ugly underscore werewolf, or at actionjacks72. And if you want to check out our past episodes, you can go to www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. But first, let's reflect on 1987, 1988, when the streets had no name, when we still hadn't found what we were looking for, and we could not live with or without you. Huge hits from you 2 that were big on MTV, big around the world. So sit back, relax, and listen to us discuss our experience with the Joshua Tree here on The Wolf. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. So I'll start then. We talked earlier on another episode about the year of 1983-84 when the first three records that ever kind of really grabbed me was Pyromania, Synchronicity in 1984. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now fast forward to 80. Now we're in 1987. This was part of the next three. So you had the Joshua Tree, you had Hysteria Mm. from Def Leppard, and then kind of the one that really broke it open was Momentary Lapse of Reason from Pink Floyd. But Joshua Tree was so massive for me because everybody had it everybody listened to it everybody so it was like it was like the first communal experience for me with rock and roll because and you could tell anybody that i think it was, so i guess it must have been middle school oh you know what do you listen to oh josh oh that's cool i like that record yeah it's mm-hmm. awesome it's great there was no because there was always like that you know you would say something and then somebody else oh that's terrible that's a crappy album you're stupid for liking that nobody ever said that about this record so it was very safe you knew you were in, you knew you were okay with that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was just, like you said, this this was the one that took them from being, yeah, I've heard of them before. And, 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 and this, I mean, then now they're on Megastar, you know, Sting level now. Sting and Bono were all over the place, mm-hmm. hanging around together, saving the rainforest. It was just, you can't put it, even a stamp on how, what, how it transformed them. And it's interesting because... They, it, it, now thinking about like you know eighty seven till now it's it's still the same four guys like it sure. didn't ruin them or anything like that they did a really good job and I don't think like I don't think Bono's ever put out a solo record there mm-hmm. might have been some tracks and I think he's guested on a couple of things mm-hmm. but he's never put out a solo record the Edge has never put out a solo record these dudes just want to be in the band and that's it well I think they did it correctly financially I think everybody has always gotten a core share of mm-hmm. writing and everything there was never any power plays or, or whatever Say, so, well I write the lyrics so I get half of it and then you guys can have the other half you know it was just always, you know, down right. the middle, we're all fair. But then you mentioned him out with Sting. I mean, it's not like before this, you two weren't trying to help the world, you know. Then they pl- played at Live Aid and they did the charity singles and they, you know, did shows to, to benefit others. But now, because they shot to such enormous status with this record, with the huge hits in America, in the history of you two, think of all the hits, man, and all the songs that they released over the year. They've had two number one singles in America. They're both off of this album. You know, I mean, it, in America, they couldn't have gotten any bigger than they were on this. And you and MTV made them huge in America. They had those big videos. And it all translated into giving them a bigger voice, which they used, I mean, to their credit, they used to try to end apartheid in South Africa and to, like you say, save the rainforest. And you know, all the many causes over the years to decrease debt to poorer nations and things like that. I mean, it's not just we're big rock stars. I mean, it comes through in their music, but it's also what they do every day as far as trying to help the average man and those that that suffer. And that's kind of where you get that back and forth too. You know, I know that people say that you two are too preachy, mm-hmm. you know, the, oh, yeah, okay, we understand. But then we were talking last on the uh, another episode about Kiss. I mean, it's, you know, uh, me being the lady 
Katie's room. It's, mm-hmm. you know, Christine's 16. Like there's really, it's kind of one track mind there. This is the, if you're really truly trying to help someone and bring light to a problem, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really can't fault you for that. I think it's, I think it's pretty cool because they could just sit there and sing about anything and still make a zillion dollars. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with singing out hot rods and chicks and stuff like that. But definitely, you know, using your space and, you know, on this record, Red Hill Mining Town, if you didn't pay attention to the lyrics, you just heard that on the radio, heard the music and heard Bono's voice, you'd think that was kind of a, you know, it's kind of a love song. It's like an unrequited love song, like, you know, things not working out. But you kind of got to dig into it. It's like, that's, it's about, you know, the town basically having to shut down because coal mines being shut. It's like everyone's losing their homes and their family legacy and all that stuff. You know, it's some heavy stuff. So, yeah, to have that economy just totally ruined and, you know, somebody talking about it is pretty cool. But, yeah, you're right. If you don't if you don't pay attention, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, la, 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 okay, moving on. But, yeah, when you start to get into it and the, and the same with uh, the towers in Dublin, mm. you know, you're like, oh, you know, it's kind of sad. But, no, it's about like drug addiction. And being, yeah, like, oh, geez. But then the the interesting part, too, is like this thing starts off. There's no no stopping this thing. Mm -hmm. Where the streets have no name, still haven't found what I'm looking for, and with or without you, bam, bam, bam. I mean, three giant hits Mm -hmm. right in a row. And, And to your point before, like with or without you, that was on MTV every, what, fourth video? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just... Um, the ladies, I mean, I know we were in middle school and, you know, whatever, but that was just, oh, my God, he's so handsome. Yeah. You know, this cool rock star because, you know, it's not all about the money and trying to save the world. Yeah. I got my cool slick back hair and, slick my, back and hair. the guitar that I don't even play. I don't even play. Just, it's just sl- it's Wearing a leather me. vest and just uh, <laughs> looking cool. But I just find it interesting that the, the way they put this together, they had those three monsters right there. And then the kind of the second side of the record is, I mean, I know uh, In God's Country and I think Red Hill Mining Town were singles, but Red Hill Mining Town, I think was only, it wasn't in America. So the the back half of that record is kind of, is more like what you would call album cuts. Yeah. In God's Country was a, was a, it was released in America. I remember seeing it and hearing it back in the day. But then, I mean, to some extent though, I mean, I remember all these songs because like you said, everybody had this and it was honestly, it was the reason I didn't have it. Because everybody had it. And I if I wanted okay. to hear it, I didn't have to have my own copy of it, you know. And and it was cool too because there were a lot of rock records. Like let's let's be real honest. I mean, you can listen to Iron Maiden, but there's not a whole lot of ladies that want to do that. Right. This was, oh, you want to put that on? No problem. You could you could listen to it like you didn't have to have the headphones on because like if your parents walked past, like they weren't cursing or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So it was a very accessible record. You know, they could maybe even listen to it. Like you said, if you didn't listen to the lyrics, you're like, oh, that was a nice song. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. You know, there, there were definitely ones that you had to either do late at night Mm-hmm. In your car or with the headphones on. This was not NWA. This was accessible to everyone. And it was, yeah, it was every, like you said, everybody had a copy of it somewhere, sometime. You either had it on a record or a cassette or a bootleg cassette from somebody else. Right. Absolutely. And MTV wore it out, man. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Walking down the streets of Vegas, you know, and... Mm-hmm. 
those people who were randomly on the street that day, I'm sure they signed waivers, say, yeah, you can include me or whatever. They're world famous now, man. They, they, they probably dine out on that, you know, every day of their lives. They played the heck out of that. Where the streets have no name on the rooftop. Huge, right? Yeah, correct. And a great way to start the record, like you said, the with or without you, with the black and white and the Bono just looking so is striking a pose there is the tortured poet with the guitar <laughs> that he doesn't play. It's like, wow, man, this is, you know. And yes, the ladies love that. It, I mean, it made it a huge hit for them. But I mean, two number one hits for a rock band in America on the same album. You, you, you may never see that again. You certainly don't see it anymore. It was rare back in the day. Yeah, and uh, it, it, it's kind of interesting, too, because there's a lot of the stuff that's that has to do with America, not mm-hmm. all of it, but some of it. You know, you mentioned, I think Where the Streets Have No Name was, I think, in L.A. They did it on the roof, I believe, and then in Vegas, walking down the street. So, yeah, it's interesting to see these guys who grew up you know, kind of fantasizing about the United States and what's the American dream and what's America to different people, and this was kind of their their interpretation of it you grow up your tastes change and you can understand things better but once again re-examining an album with you jackson i'm hearing the bass more prominently than i probably did back in the day now some of these songs the bass is a pretty important piece of it and i do remember how important it was back in the day but Adam Clayton, pretty darn good bass player. They're not just keeping him around because, well, all right, you know, the three of us are good and we've always done it with him. Uh, so we, we'll just keep him around. He does pull his weight. Well, one of those, one of the ones we talk uh, in, in God's Country, mm-hmm. he does a really good job of just kind of walking around underneath. He's not playing the same thing. You know, he, he's got his own track going on underneath. And it's just, he's one of those dudes where it's like, like you said, the first time around, you wouldn't, eh, you know, you just kind of, passed through it but if you listen to it long enough like yeah he's there the rhythm section's holding it down and there's not a lot of overdubbing there's a little bit but not a ton Mm -hmm. so they got a lot of work to do down there and it's like you do just enough just enough to not be distracting Mm -hmm. but to really hold down the cool and and i like to when they kind of drop out it's just the bass in that song yeah he's a he's a pretty cool cat he is and then they follow up with trip through your wires at first, I'm like, why, he's playing the harmonica? Really? Are they going to do a blues? And it's like, no, it's this other thing. And I actually really like that. As far as the non-hits go, I, I really like that one. But, I mean, then the second side also has One Tree Hill. I mean, the the second side, which is maybe doesn't have the super huge worldwide hits, still has some amazing quality. And I guess it's because they had grown up at this point. It had been three years, or two and a half anyway, since the Unforgettable Fire. So they had to come back with something. Big. And that's, you know, you didn't have to make them every year like you did in the 60s and 70s, but you had to, you had to keep them interested somehow. And they did put out Wide Awake in America, which is an EP, which never do well in America in 85. And, you know, they had to do something big. Once again, they worked with Brian Eno and Daniel Lanois, which is weird to have two producers and they trade off. Like, you know, one of them's there for a couple of weeks and then, you know, the other guy comes in. You would think that wouldn't work. However, it turned out pretty well. Yeah, you'd think it's got to be one guy, one voice. And I think he did, I think Eno did a lot of the arranging, you know, kind of we need to do this, we need to do that. I know on Bullet, the Blue Sky, mm-hmm. he had him recorded a couple different times until he heard what he what he was looking for he's but yeah just that it, it doesn't on paper it doesn't sound like that should work out like you know like two, having two directors of a movie what no yeah. one person i don't think so yeah. but, um, but it works yeah 
Correct. And in this one, it did. It definitely worked. And it, and it is weird, too, because the I'm talking about the second side, you can kind of listen to that as more of album cuts. And the more that you listen to it, the more that you find different things in there. And you say, you know what? I, I may have I may have passed over that the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm getting back to the hits. It's, it's okay. And I think the other the other thing, too, about you, too, especially on this backside is we here at the podcast love Jimmy Page. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the riff masters and the edge is just not that guy. He's not going to go out. He's not going to have these killer riffs that it's more of like a song composure. You know, you've got everything working together. Yeah. So it takes a little more getting used to. Yeah. And it's melody. He, he puts a lot of melody in there. Plus, yeah. he, he seems to be a bit of a technology freak. He, he he seems to be able to incorporate new sounds and new kinds of guitars and pedals and, and things in there to create. When you, you hear something like Elevation, you know, it sounds all distorted and it's killer I'm like but if you play yeah. that without all the little gadgets making that that's not much of a riff you know but he knows how to experiment and do all this different stuff so this is where it really started they had evolved as artists they had grown up a little bit and now they have some time and money you're not just like okay you're you know us another one in six months you owe us another one in eight months or whatever they kind of get in there and experiment and they're allegedly the first two songs were the hits you know like those came out pretty quickly and it gave them confidence okay we we know what we're doing so so let's do it plus what i love is they made like 30 songs during all these sessions man and 11 of them made the record but that means there's so many more and of course in 20th and 30th anniversary editions they've they've re-released some i got some of them on the they had a deluxe version of the 1980 to 1990 u2 um they had one from from 1990 to 2000 as well but so you could get a second disc that had some rarities and some B-sides and some stuff that was just kind of never released. And you know I'm a sucker for that stuff, the B-sides and the unreleased (laughs) tracks. But when you've got 30 of them and that album was that good, there are some real gems. Obviously, the sweetest thing was eventually reworked and released later on, I think to coincide with the release of that that record. But anyway, there's a lot of great stuff in there. So it, it may be an expensive set, but you can hear it on things like Amazon and the Internet, and I encourage everybody to check those out and it's strange too because now looking thinking about that the sweetest thing did come out as a single later on i don't think it would have fit on here that would have been like "Ah, well that's the thing you you don't just make an album to to just put out you know whatever songs you can eke out of you the the album you know has to kind of tell a story and there's a theme here there's kind of a beginning middle and end to it and the tracks are aligned in a certain way to evoke that and back to i was going to say back to the edge real quick I always thought, kind of thought he was a chump. I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, he's not a he's not a guitar guy. He actually does a lot more than I ever thought. He's, I mean, he does the background vocals. He does all the guitar work. He plays pedals, like he's got effect pedals, but he's also got like chorus pedals that he plays on stage. So he's working real hard to mm-hmm. make this music. And I think again, the more that you peel back the onion layers, you're like, okay, I see what he's doing here. It's not punching you in the face. It's more subtle layering on this deal and yeah i think he does not get enough credit for being a musician uh, because it's it's let's face it it's bono is the u2 the face of u2 absolutely yeah and and you know carrying the flag and mm-hmm. you know he's the artist and i think these guys are all artists and i i do think it's cool when you see the liner notes and everybody's credited as writing the music because i don't I don't think there's any way you can, even if you come up with the the basics like the like the riff, 
or the song or the lyrics if you don't have the drum and the guitar and bass parts locked mm-hmm. in you know you can't just have somebody come in and just oh just play whatever no 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 no, no. it has to it's cohesive so and, I always thought that was really cool, and I'm always I'm always a big fan of guys that can stay together that long, like the the Stones, and I mean honestly, but these they haven't had any lineup changes since the beginning. I mean, it's maybe, always been the four of them, yeah. Maybe day one, I don't know. You know, we had some guy who was hit with us for a week and a half and left, but since they started as a commercially successful band, they have not had any lineup changes, which I think is really cool. It's kind of amazing in this day and age, and it, and it, obviously it goes beyond just everybody gets their fair share because you can make plenty of money and be like, okay, now I don't have to deal with you jerks anymore. You know, you can continue on, and I'm going to get out. You know, I'm going to go do something else. Uh, right. It's never happened. Or people get, it's just human nature. People get their feelings hurt when it's like, you know, you're saying you two, but you're really meaning Bono or you're really meaning Bono and the edge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess they were okay with, you know what, you guys go ahead on the press conference. I'm out. I'm going to go sit on the beach for a while and relax. Right. But see, that's, and that's great too. You know, they're not, they're not holding that over their bandmates to say, you know, we do every interview, you know, we do every get up in the morning, go to the radio station. Right. We do, you know, we do all that stuff. We can write the songs without you, maybe. Correct. You know, they never do. So do you think on here, do you think there's anything that's a that's a dud? I mean, not a dud, no. I mean, they're all. it's all good music. It, it all sounds good. I don't think so either. I think, I mean, in listening to this, there are, especially the stuff at the end, like Exit and, and Mothers Have Disappeared. Yeah. Like, it's slow. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's still good. Like, you kind of have to give it a couple of listens before you, oh, okay, I'm coming around, coming around to this now. If you're here for just the hits you're not going to like it but as far as a cohesive package mm-hmm. i think it's pretty cool yeah they're and they're they're fairly chilled songs at the end of it yeah. so it's like i'm i'm intentionally listening though through the first more than half of the record i feel like and then towards the end especially after trip through wires it, 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 it's kind of like it just softens the blow it's it's like we're, we're now rolling downhill slowly now if you figure to the first the first three that's those are that's a lot to take in right you know three giant hits and then yeah like you said you kind of ease into this and and i think it's kind of one of those deals too where it's oh you know i'm a big youtube fan okay have you ever heard yeah have you ever heard one tree hill have mm-hmm. you ever heard trips through the wires like well i mean i really like where the streets have of course, of course you do. <laughs> go sit in the corner that's funny. Uh, Although one thing that I really liked on Red Hill was that was the chorus parts. Mm-hmm. Bono's got one of those, but he's got a rock and roll voice. I mean, when he he can sing, he sings low, uh, and so tight. But when he gets going, wow! I think he can really belt it out. He can. It, that's that's another reason why it just feels so honest. When you can belt something out like that, you have to believe it. You know, you have to mean it. Um, yeah. And and that's that just kind of lends to his overall aura. It's like he's honest about his performance and then when he gets off stage he's not trying to fool you he's still pretty honest about who he is yes he might do some fashion stuff but some of that's to make him laugh more than to entertain you people so I, <laughs> you know I, I i think it's it's one of those bands who can really back up what they're trying to do with actual talent and yes he's the singer and he does all the interviews so of course he's going to get all the press and all that kind of stuff Not because he doesn't deserve it as an artist. He's got the talent to write that stuff, to create the music, and then to do that, to squeeze that out of his body is pretty important. And and he's got the the quintessential rock star kind of vibe about him. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I'm I'm all about the music and I don't like, okay, so, you know, you're a pretty good looking guy. Oh, no, 
not me. You know, I don't know what you're talking about. Come on, dude, let's go. <laughs> but it, but it's interesting too because we were listening to my wife and I were listening to. I can't remember what it was. It came on the radio and it was some song from the '90s. And she, my wife, just said, "This is an awful song." <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, because the lyrics." Or everything, everything is just disposable in this song. The lyrics could have been anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, every day is a great day. Shut up! Like, what? How can you? How, you just took words that that rhymed and put them together, and and had a generic song. And I think the song, like I said, I can't remember what it was, but it was a hit back in the day. Mm-hmm. But it's just, you know, you listen to this and they're really trying to tell you something. They're really like, they, something happened to them either as a, as a younger person or as an adult and you see a situation that affects you and you say, I want to tell people about this. Not, oh, I got to write a song. Okay. Uh, the sky is blue. Right. Uh, love you too. Okay. There's our single. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And I can, I can imagine too, if you're a producer and you get into the the studio with people that don't have anything or what are we going to do now? Okay. We got to put something together too, but you've got something like this where not only do you have this record, but you've got 10 other tracks that you're not going to use. I'm sorry. We can't put everything on here. This is all great stuff. We can't use it all. Well, and we got to pick through this. Something about the recording was different too. I guess you two had traditionally recorded their bits separately. You know, Edge would go into the guitar room and he would duke it out and then we'd set up Larry, make sure we get the beat right, whatever. And this time Lanois said let's work some stuff out before you come in and we'll come in and we'll play it live together in the same room which was different for them they you know had and obviously you have to be on par with it also you have to really commit to it because yeah. you have to use the whole thing or you can use nothing basically because you can't come in and overdub stuff and you're going to use everybody live and stuff like that i mean you could but it just it's not going to sound right so so this was a big departure for them but obviously it turned out some pretty killer results and it's not something they could always do forever after after that, but it worked. Well, one of the things that I was reading on on Bullet the Blue Sky, apparently they had something worked out, but then Clayton and Mullen did something like they played it a little bit off, and and the Edge was saying like, "What are you doing? Stop that! Like this isn't what we recorded, or this isn't what we agreed on." And then they went back and listened to it. He's like, "No, no, you got it. That's it. That's I didn't hear it at the beginning while we were playing it, mm-hmm. but now, yes, that's exactly what this thing needed. That's fantastic." fantastic so i think to your point you know you have to kind of let go a little bit and say this is a live recording you know hang on here we go it's not that perfect like oh no do it again oh do that part again like you know you're just hearing your own part and i i would imagine that's very clinical you know like you just you just play and then the person in the control room you know, hits the button okay that sounded good or play that part again you don't get that feel the band feel right i don't know i don't i don't produce records i would love to but i don't but i would <laughs> I would say I would love to hear it live every time. I want to hear this like it's going to be a live uh, performance. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to do the, the individual tracks unless it was something weird where it, you you had to get it differently. Well, you think look, you, you've got it. You've got to have some kind of rhythm track sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you got okay, here's the riff and here's the melody. You've got to come up with some kind of drum track, even if it's not from a live drummer. You could program something. To say, okay, and this is when, you know, we do the bridge and this is how we kind of bring it back and stuff. Give it a rhythm so you can build around it and give the drummer somewhere to go even. It's like, okay, this is what it basically is. Now you do your thing to it. 
Um, but I mean, that's the way a lot of stuff, most stuff is recorded, really. I mean, it may come out of a jam. It's like, okay, that's the song we're going to do. Now we'll go and do your individual parts. Um, especially if you get make sure the vocal is just right. They, maybe a lot of people can make the music that way, but the vocal almost always comes later. Yeah, I would think you'd have to re, you'd have to redo the the vocals. But I heard it, and it, I think it was it might have been it was some Stone song, and it. it they were playing the song, and then Mick, all Mick was doing was just scatting. Oh, right. You could mm-hmm. hear boop, bop, ba, ba, da, beep, ba, da. Like, he wasn't even real worried, but he was putting in, he was getting himself, okay, this is what this is where the lyrics need to come in. Right. I'm like, well, that's really cool to hear that. Yeah, and put, maybe put the right rhythm in there. Or yeah. Put it in the right key, but it, whatever, but, but yeah. But again, to your point, for the people playing the music you have to hear that okay here's what the vocals are going to sound like so Mm -hmm. i know when to here's where you're going to come in here's where you're going to drop out i think for people who really don't listen to this a lot you think ah you know these guys are just fooling around they're not really fooling around this is hard work there's a lot that goes into these things to make it sound really really fantastic yeah to make it sound great i mean yeah i mean you can get a few guitars and just sit around in a circle on one mic and record something and maybe if you're in a good room with good musicians you can get that to sound pretty good and to the untrained ear be like hey man these guys are pretty good and yeah they maybe they are you know but to create something from scratch that's going to transcend the way something like the Joshua Tree, yeah, it's 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 hard work and a lot went into it. And yeah, they made thirty songs for crying out loud. It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. And and it's it's cool to think about this record now, going back and listening to it again, how you could make something that is relevant as a record all the way through, but still have, like you said, two number one hits. Those things don't always, usually don't go together. Usually you get a record where it's like, yeah, there were there were a couple hits, but the rest of the songs were like, they didn't really go together. They were just kind of thrown in. But this one, no, a start to finish was a is a cohesive package that you can listen to over and over and over again. So it shot them to superstardom. And then after taking so long between The Unforgettable Fire and The Joshua Tree, they come back in 88 after a very successful Joshua Tree tour and do Rattle and Hump. Uh, not only the the record, which was, you know, part live performance, part some new stuff, and then the accompanying movie. But it was that that actually, it seems to me, kind of almost broke the band. So they have this enormous success with Joshua Tree, critical success, commercial success, selling records, selling singles, selling tickets. Okay, it all paid off. So now we can really do what we want to do. And in the film, Rattle and Hum, you know, they kind of came off, you know, we were just talking about how genuine they are, right? And fighting for good causes, singing about things that really affect people. And then a little bit in Rattle and Hum, you could see they're, they're kind of whining about how, yeah, this big stage show is kind of hard and it's not getting easier in some spots, you know? And, and they felt in retrospect that when they're going to see B.B. King, you know, Love Comes to Town is a huge hit for them and B.B., they kind of came off as trying to show Americans their heritage. Like, it's like, we're Irishmen coming through America. We just wrote this record about our view of America in different ways. And now we're kind of pilgrims going through it and learning more about the blues and paying attention to it was their journey. Whereas they felt like maybe they came off telling Americans about the blues, like, hey, guys, we know all about the blues. We know B.B. King. You know, maybe in your little world, B.B. wasn't any wasn't a big deal, but, you know, we know that. So the pressure by the time Octung Baby almost and I've seen the video. They made a movie about it, like going to Germany, making Octung Baby. It, it, the band almost broke up. It's like if one hadn't come together, the band would have gone away. 
So the Joshua tree is what kind of set them up for superstar status, but it also could have been because then they got the freedom to do a movie and do the big rattle and hum. And then that, although it was a big hit, put pressure on them and made them examine themselves in a way that changed them again. And this time for the better so that they could kind of go on and do it for the next 30 years. You got to figure that it, that's one of those, be careful what you wish for, because again, you know, you were, you were kind of this cool, edgy you know, people had heard of you, but I'm like, man, then you had this giant commercial hit where you were, you know, on the, on the walls of every teenager in the United States. Yeah. That comes with a lot of, like, you can't take that back. Mm-hmm. Like you've got to go. And then yeah, Rattle of Home was kind of a cool um, departure. They didn't do another record. It was a live deal. They had a couple of tracks like Desire was on mm-hmm. there and that was huge on the radio. And then it's like, okay, so now we got that. Yeah. Now what do we do? Now we got to keep going. You can't. And and then, I mean, we were in college when Octone Baby came out and that was just another just nuclear explosion. Huge. I mean, that was, they were just kept the train rolling. And it's, it's insane to think about that run of those, to just take those three records and put them together. That, that yeah, A, you could have held the band together. B, that you could have put out something that wasn't like, what is this? Well, you had it, you lost it. Mm-hmm. Guys, sorry. Yeah, they just, they kept the train rolling. And kind of, I guess, found themselves again as a band. You know, right. they were cool when they were just, I mean, the four dudes hanging out in Ireland, you know, oh, let's start a band. Oh, okay. And then, you know, you you get to the superstar of it, then you hold on to it. That's the real trick. Because there's a lot of people that had it for a second, and then the whole thing just implodes on the police. <laughs> okay, so, okay. So, yeah, 25 million at least for the Joshua Tree. It wouldn't surprise me uh-huh. if it was bigger than that. Rattle and Hum, and was it a double album? One, maybe one CD, but a double album. I think it might have been, yeah, because they had a lot of they had a lot of live tracks on there, but but they did have the singles on there to to play on the radio and right. sell it. That's right. And then Octung Baby, which I mean, I don't know how many millions that sold. Now that's interesting. Let's see. I'm gonna check that real quick because I think they sold a ton of those because that was the same deal i everybody i i never had a copy of that for a long time because to your point everybody had a copy it was everywhere yeah Uh, it sold seven million copies in its first three months on sale (laughs) holy mackerel that's unbelievable dude but it doesn't surprise me either because one was such a huge hit and the the singles were so big and they were back on MTV in such a big way. It's like, oh my God, seven million first three months. Oh my I mean, goodness. Yeah. But but the thing is too, like Mysterious Ways, that was a big single. That was on oh that was on the radio every three minutes when it was uh when it first came out. So yeah, that was a that's a huge record and i can't even imagine going into the studio like starting off day one what kind of pressure you had Mm -hmm. because you know it's like well we could kind of take nope nope you just had two you had you had well you had the one record you had that kind of gimme in between you know live departure record Mm -hmm. okay now it's time to make something again you can't. We can't fold that now. We can't. Yeah, this was more the real follow-up to the Joshua Tree, right? Rattle and Hum. Yeah. Yes, it had some original stuff on there. It was a movie, and it, yeah. uh, and, and it was a live record. Um. <laughs> Although it's interesting too. You were talking about you were talking about BB King, and you know mm-hmm. them listening to BB King. These guys in in Dublin listening to American records mm-hmm. from the I mean from the the fifties and the sixties, and I'm sure they were. They were influenced by the Beatles, but I mean, just that 
to have that fantasy of America. Right. And I think that this is kind of like their realization of that. I mean, I don't know what they were thinking. Probably that America was like the, you know, the 1940s dream of everybody's got a, you know, all the streets are perfectly manicured and mm-hmm. everybody's got, you know, two kids and a dog and yeah, just to, just to think about the kid, the child in Ireland, mm-hmm. especially like Ireland back then was not the nicest place. It was kind of industrial, kind of raw. And you're thinking, man, the greatest place in the world is the United States. And I could just go there. And well, California alone, right? California alone. Right. It's always sunny. People are there surfing. Mm-hmm. Everybody's happy and tan and they make movies Correct. there. And it's fantastic. Yeah, Everybody's then, rich in the United States. Yeah. It's fantastic. And then, you know, they call it the troubles over here. But, you know, when there was so much, they could call it terrorism, but it was like bombing activity in Belfast between the Catholics and the Protestants. They had problems with the IRA and things like that. You know, you grow up in a certain amount of fear, you know, with that going on. I mean, in America, you know, everybody's just, yeah, everybody has a car and you drive it all over the place and big buildings and big pizzas and everything's so awesome in America, right? And no and no one's yeah, no one's blowing anything up. No one's fighting. I mean, yes, we've got religious problems in this country. I mm-hmm. get it, but I mean like people don't they don't have armed conflicts in the streets and <laughs> and then so you fast forward what? When do you think these guys were born? Maybe probably the 50s um ish. Oh, the U2s? Um yeah, yeah. they must be. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, it's, it, it hadn't gotten that much better. You know, you've been through World War II, which mm-hmm. was, you know, pretty intense there. So, yeah, I can think you're just sitting to that saying, man, one day I'm getting out of here. One day I'm going to the greatest place on the face of the earth right. and that fantasy of this deal. Yes, and, um, well, there's some truth to it, absolutely. And there still really is in America, as, as screwed up as America is, man. Um, you, you ready, if you're ready to come in and work hard and you can find, a, you know, good opportunities and good ideas, America's still the best yeah, place. Can- you can literally do whatever you want here. No one is going to tell you you can. You know, they say the deepest musical imprints are those you get when you're young, when you're a child, when you're a teenager, when you're growing up, and you're going through all those tough times that we all have lived through at one point or another. And U2's The Joshua Tree was one of the soundtracks to adolescence for me and Action Jackson and innumerable children in the United States, the UK, and around the world. Those big hits, where the streets have no name, with or without you, and I still haven't found what I'm looking for, still resonate. I can still see every image from the MTV videos in my mind to this day. And the whole album was a brilliant statement by a band who had finally come of age, had finally reached the status where they could work with the best, take their time, and produce the kind of record that they were capable of. And with almost 20 songs that weren't included on the album, there's some incredible gems on there. So I encourage everybody to go out and listen to those deep tracks, things that came out in the 20th and 30th anniversary editions. And hopefully we'll see you two tour again. If I know them, they'll do their part to not only get out there and entertain us again, but do something positive for the world while they're at it. I can't wait to see what they do next. As far as what we do next, our next episode is on Metallica's Black Album, or Metallica, released in 1991, a heavy metal juggernaut that promoted Metallica from big-time hard rockers to the biggest band in the world. Jax and I were lucky enough to see them on that tour. We'll give you some reflections of that night in Fort Myers and our memories of the singles and the album itself. Until then, rock and rollers, hey, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? 
Did we miss the point? Did we leave out the best part? Let us know. Tweet us at ugly underscore werewolf and check out all past episodes at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. And make sure you download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, rock and rollers, everybody out there, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.